Amen. Well, as we've been talking about today, we are kicking off our 40 days of love journey. Uh, Last week, Pastor Dudley set things up for us, uh, got us thinking along the lines of how important the subject of love is, and if we properly understand it, how it has the power to truly change our lives. And so it's worth remembering as we embark on this journey that this is monumentally important, the subject of love. In fact, it's so loved that Jesus gave us this new command in his time on earth when he was training up his disciples and going about uh, speaking the good news, he gave us this new commandment of love, right? This command to love God and love people. That's what Jesus gives to us. It's the way of life that he sets out for his followers, centering around loving God and loving others. Essentially, this is what we are created for. This is why we're here, to love God and to love people. And so the entirety of our lives then is this movement, this movement forward towards that end, to develop a love for Christ and develop a love for people. And when those two things are growing in our lives, then we are truly becoming more and more who God has created us to be, who he desires us to be. And of course, love is one of those subjects that has captivated kind of the the imagination of humanity from the very beginning, right? It's a word, it's a concept, a theme that shows up in almost every story, in almost every song. It's something that we feel, we touch, we all know to varying degrees the subject of love. And of course, it's represented in so many different ways throughout our culture and throughout our history, whether it's art or literature, or music, any kind of storytelling, the subject of love is present. Who can forget that great Beatles song? I'll give you all I got to give if you say you'll love me too. I may not have a lot to give, but what I give, I'll give to you. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love, right? One of my favorite pop songs from the 80s is actually from another British pop group called Yaz. Didn't think I was going to go there, did you? Um, All I needed was the love you gave. All I needed for another day. And all I ever knew, only you. Or in the famous lines of literature, Tolstoy's War and Peace, we are asleep until we fall in love. Or in William Blake's wonderful poem, The Clod and the Pebble, Love seeketh not itself to please, nor for itself hath any care, but for another gives its ease and builds a heaven in hell's despair. Isn't that beautiful? We could name, list, read so many examples of how we try to define love, how men and women have tried to speak about love. But there's this place in the Bible that has penetrated Um, Even our culture's definitions of love, you'll hear it referred to in songs and in weddings and all over the place, and it's this famous chapter of love 
that the Apostle Paul gives to us in 1 Corinthians 13. And that is going to be the subject not only of our sermon this morning, but of our 40 days groups this first week. And I want to read it to you, have us read it together in its entirety this morning. But before we do that, I want to read you something that a biblical commentator wrote about this incredible passage. Leon Morris, a wonderful commentator on the Bible, a wonderful scholar, he says this about 1 Corinthians 13. He says, the commentator cannot finish writing on this chapter without a sense that soiled and clumsy hands have touched a thing of exquisite beauty and holiness. Here, what is true of all scripture is true in a special measure that no comment can be adequate to so great a theme. Yet no commentator can excuse himself from the duty of trying at least to make plain what these matchless words have come to signify for him. And no Christian can excuse himself from the duty of trying to show in his life what these words have come to mean for him. And so we want to turn there to 1 Corinthians 13. If you have a Bible this morning, it'll be on the screens. And just as Leon Morris has said, I I feel very inadequate this morning to comment, to say something about these marvelous words that Paul gives us, but we are going to attempt to say something hopefully that will be meaningful to all of us. And that's what we're talking about today, that love matters most. And so on your outline, if you want to follow along, we're going to see how love matters most in two ways particularly. We'll see what a lack of love leads to in our lives, and then the opposite. We'll see what true godly love leads to. And so if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 or read along with me on the screen, here it is for us. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. So if love matters most, if love is what God is cultivating in us, then let's look first at what a lack of love leads to. 
It's on your outline. You can follow along. And in those first verses of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us what a lack of love in our life leads to. He says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Doesn't sound good, right? A clanging cymbal. And so a lack of love first leads to confusion. Confusion. Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. These two letters actually that become part of the New Testament. And it's a church that's dealing with a lot of problems, a lot of issues. They're trying to figure out what it means for them to be Christians and live in the city of Corinth. And also they were a gifted bunch of people, we're told. They had many gifts and talents. There were influential people that were a part of this church. And so they're trying to navigate what life was going to look like following Jesus now in the midst of the city around them. And so throughout the letter, Paul is trying to answer their questions, speak truth to the questions that they have. But then he comes to this passage that we've just read and he says, you can do all of these things though. You can use your gifts and your talents, but if you don't do them with love, then it's like you're a clanging cymbal, a resounding gong. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a clanging cymbal before, but I grew up playing in bands, jazz bands and concert bands throughout school. And I remember one time in particular where we had this new younger student in the, in the concert band and we got into the middle of the song and, and he was just like a half beat off for half the song with that crashing cymbal. And if you've ever heard that kind of off-timed crashing cymbal for half a song, it sticks with you and it leads to confusion. Everyone starts looking around. Everyone starts wondering what is going on. Are we going to stop? Are we going to keep going? And we just going to push through? A clanging cymbal, a resounding gong. Paul is basically saying, without love, all of your gifts, all of our talents, we try to use them, but without love, they're just confusing. It's, it's like that gong that just keeps going out of time. And I think the same is true for us as a church family also, that if we are not careful, if we begin to use our gifts or our talents, if we begin to live our lives with one another without love, if that's not what's being practiced here, then our gifts, our talents, they, they don't work together, right? They don't work like they should. It simply leads to confusion. And the type of confusion, unfortunately, that we often see in a lot of churches, and maybe that's been some of your experience growing up, right? Churches that are seemingly overwhelmed with gossip or uh, with factions kind of competing against each other, and you're like, where, where is the love that draws us together as God's people? And when there's a lack of love, there begins to be confusion. And maybe that's taken shape in some of your personal relationships also, or in your families. That when you start to feel like love is not present, or love is not growing in your personal relationships, it leads to Confusion, it begins to make you wonder if you are loved. And when you begin to doubt whether love 
is actually for you, if the people that are most important to you love you or not, it can send us spiraling. The confusion can take deep root. And so a lack of love leads to that type of confusion, Paul says. But secondly, a lack of love leads to emptiness. Look at verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all these mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, he says, if I even give my body to hardship, if I lay down my life, but if I do that without love, I gain nothing. Now think about how strong those words are. All these things, important things, like knowledge and faith and gifts and prophecy, Paul says, if they're not wrapped up in love, I am nothing. If I give to the poor, giving to the poor is a good thing, right? If I lay down my body for someone else, if I suffer or go through hardship for others, that seems heroic, right? But Paul says if we do even those things without love, it's nothing. You gain nothing. And when you are nothing or have nothing, you are empty. And so the lack of love in our lives can lead to a type of spiritual emptiness in us. And I think that emptiness starts to show itself in a couple of ways. One, it shows itself when we're kind of feeling empty, when we are trying to direct our love to too many things that are not God. That's when the emptiness truly starts to show itself. And second, when we start to think, we fall into this trap that the only way that I can fill myself up with love is if I work for it. So we throw our love in too many directions and then we try to work for our love, all symptoms of this emptiness that Paul says we have to be careful of. I don't have to tell you, there are so many things vying for our attention today, vying for our Love. And it's very easy to find ourselves extending love to all of these different things. And in particular, things, if we're not careful, that have the tendency to lead us away from God, not towards Him. And that really is the story of humanity from the very beginning. It's the story of God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. They had this special relationship with God, this special love between them and God, and yet throughout their history, they were constantly tempted with giving their love to other things, to other gods, to the material things of the world. And when they would do that, problems would come. That is the problem of sin. Sin comes into our lives and brings confusion and emptiness. And then we start to give our love to things that are not going to fill us up in the way God wants us to have in the relationship that we were meant to have with him. And so that sin that we are given to, that we want to love, is the very thing that begins to separate us from God. And because there's that separation, God, we believe, has to punish that sin, has to do something about that sin 
that punishes us, and that is the bad news of the gospel. The bad news that leads us to emptiness. But not only are we tempted to direct our love to other things that lead us away from God, but then we, kind of the twist of that emptiness is that we begin to think, well, if, if I'm going to get love, the only way that I can have it in my life is if I work for it, is if I try to attain it for myself. And so when we're empty, we start to think that we need to be the ones to fill ourselves up. And it's much easier to try and think about it that way, to try and work for God's love or work for the love of others than it is to simply receive it, to see it as a gift that God has given to us. And so as we think about how we are tempted to work for it, it all comes back to this idea of have we truly understood the grace of God in a way that changes our lives. We've just spent a number of weeks thinking about the grace of God as we've led ourselves into this 40 days of love journey. And the grace of God, we said time and time again, is something that we receive into our lives. It's something that God fills us up with, not something that we work for, not something that we attain on our own or earn. And the good news of the gospel is just that. It's declaring to us that it's Jesus. It is God himself who has come to us in Jesus that has done the work for us, that has lived the perfect life, who became the perfect sacrifice for our sin on the cross, doing that work so that we could be received back into loving relationship with God. Not only that, but the work of the resurrection where Jesus defeats death so that you and I now, though we are empty on our own, can be filled up with God's Spirit. That is the great hope of the good news, that even now, you and I are filled with the presence of God. We don't earn that. We don't earn that love or work for that love. We receive it. And I think the same is true for our relationships with one another also. That when we're empty, what do we have the tendency to do? We have the tendency to turn to our relationships and seek out a certain kind of love that we feel, we feel like will fill us up, right? And if we're not getting enough love from someone else in our life, well, then we'll start to think, well, what can I do to earn that love from them or work harder to get or gain that love from them? And when we start to think that way in our relationships, that there's something that I have to do to earn their love more, then we're truly in trouble because godly relationships are not set upon how much we can show each other what we can do for one another to, re to receive their love. Truly God-honoring relationships are about extending the love of God even when we don't deserve it. Paul says you can do all of these things for God and for each other, but if you do them without love, they're gonna leave you feeling empty. 
empty. And so a lack of love does that. It brings confusion. It brings emptiness. But what does godly love lead to? Godly love, Paul says, is going to lead to some tremendous things in our lives. The first is that it leads to truth. Verse 4, in this great kind of list of things that Paul defines love as, he says, love is patient, love is kind. These are the words maybe that we're familiar with. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, all of these things. And then in verse 6, he says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth rejoices with the truth. You see, when we are growing in our love for God and our love for one another, then we are growing in truth. We are welcoming truth into our lives. When the word of God is coming alive to us more and more, then we are freed to live in truth. We are no longer afraid of the truth. We're not trying to hide anything. And that shows up in our relationships with one another also. When we're feeling loved by each other, we are so much more willing and ready to receive truth when necessary. When I know that you love me, when my wife loves me, she can say something hard when it's necessary. And I can receive that, the truth of that, because I know that she loves me. When you are fully loved, there is nothing to hide. There's no reason for us to pretend with one another because we can receive the truth of God in love. But secondly, godly love leads to, Paul says, hope. Verse 6 goes on. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. And so when love matters most, I truly believe this, and this is so good for us to remember, if love matters most for us in this Christian life, then we should be hopeful people. We should be people full of hope. These two things, love and hope, are connected. That when we are growing in our love for God and our love for others, there is a natural connection to how much hope we are experiencing each and every day. And so I'd love for you to do this right now as I ask this question. If I were to say, how hopeful are you right now? What begins to rattle around in your mind? How hopeful are you about the future, about your present life, about the future of the world, what God's doing in the world today, how hopeful are you? And now consider this with that question. You are loved by God more than you can ever imagine. That's true. If you embrace the good news, you are loved by God more than you could ever imagine. That is settled. That's God's gift to you. That is not going to change. And so now let's revisit the question. How hopeful are you right now? How does the fact that God's love is so strong for you change the way you think 
about hope in your life. And it makes me so sad when I hear or see Christians who should be filled up with this incredible love for God seem to lose their hope. We're kind of overwhelmed by bitterness instead of hope. It's as if there's this lack of connection between love and hope that we need to really talk about. Why has that disconnection occurred? If God's love is growing in us, it should lead us as followers of Jesus to be the most hopeful people in the world. And maybe some of us need to wrestle with that during these 40 days. But lastly, godly love leads to truth, it leads to hope, but Paul says it also leads to perseverance. Verse 7, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We just sang about that. And it makes sense that we would say that if love matters most, if love, the love of God for us is the most important thing, then it makes sense that to believe that would lead us to see that that doesn't change, that God's love is unshakable, that it will persevere in our life and even throughout eternity. And that's the reason, I I hope that that is obvious, that if God loves you that much, that there's nothing that you can do that can change that, that can shake that up or move it out of your life. We don't love like God loves. And what makes the power of that simple verse eight, love never fails so incredible, is that our love fails all the time, doesn't it? When we put the love of God up against the love that we have for him and for others, the gap couldn't be wider. And yet we are reminded that that love, that great love that he has for us, will never change. It is perfect love that perseveres. There's this uh, wonderful passage in the Gospel of John that I often think about, I've been thinking about more and more recently. Uh, where Jesus, we're getting into the season in the next couple of weeks where Jesus is going to be going to the cross and before he gathers with his closest followers for this very special celebration of the Passover meal, the Last Supper, where he's going to wash their feet and talk about the amazing things of his kingdom. In John 13, 1, it says this, it was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. He loved them to the end. The cross was coming, and Jesus knew it. And yet he loved his disciples, his followers, all the way to the end. And we're in that verse too, where he says, having loved his own who are in the world, that's you and me. He loved us to the end, that he would endure the cross, that he would pour himself out in love as a gift to us so that you and I would not be empty, but would be filled up 
with his love. And so as we begin this journey of 40 days thinking about God's love for us and our love for one another, if love truly matters most, then we really need to think about how we are expressing this in our day in and day out lives. How is it taking shape? How are we seeing love grow? And there's many things we could say. There's many ideas we could come up with. Um, There's all kinds of expressions of love and Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 gave us all those things about being patient and kind, not boasting. But there's one in particular that I want to encourage us all with today that I think is kind of the gateway to experiencing more love both in our relationship with God and in our relationship with one another. And it's simply this, that I want to encourage you to see time Time as a gift of love. I even took my time saying that phrase. (laughs) Time is a gift of love. You see, love finds itself with time. If you invest the time with God, in that time spent, you will begin to experience his love in a greater way. If you invest the time in those key relationships in your life. In that time, you will begin to experience more and more love. We create the space to grow in love with each other. And so during these 40 days, we're going to need to do that. We're gonna need to create the space in our lives in order that we may grow in love for God and love for one another. And so within this journey, there's two specific ways you can join in that with us. You can be doing the daily devotionals on your own personally and see your relationship with God on a day-in, day-out basis grow and flourish. Or you can get into a small group with us during these next six weeks and begin to see relational love grow, maybe with some new friends, maybe with some old friends. And whatever that looks like in your personal life, with your families, with your coworkers, with the people that are hard to love, what does it look like during these next 40 days to create a little more time, a little more space for you to see love grow even in those hard places? But secondly, part of the homework, not only to create more time to see time as a gift of love but it's to do it now to truly believe that this is something that we can't put off that it's not something that we can deal with later in life I'm too busy right now to kind of devote myself to God or devote myself to the people around me Paul is saying that if these things are not present in your life if love is not in your life then you gain nothing. And if we're not careful, that spiritual emptiness can begin to take over when all along God has desired for us to be filled up with his love, more and more overflowing into the relationships around us. That is something that we cannot wait on. We have to do it now. I think one of the reasons that Jesus is always talking about children. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is saying that the way you come to me 
is like a child, like this little child. Why is that? Why is it that Jesus is always saying that come to me, but come to me like a child does? Well, I think one of the reasons is because children seem to have a capacity for love that is so wonderful, right? They are easy to love and they give their love away freely. They have an imagination for love that Jesus says is the type of imagination that we should have when we come to him. But there's something that seems to happen when we get older, right? We lose that imagination. We lose the ability to extend that love or show love like a child shows it. I grew up reading The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, and maybe you're familiar with those stories or uh, with the movies. And of course, it's the story of these four children that stumble into this magical place called Narnia, which is really Lewis's depiction of heaven, where heaven and earth come together. That great story of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, where they stumble into that paradise, and they begin to experience this whole new life. But there's something interesting that happens with one of the characters as the stories and the books go on. Susan was the, the, the oldest sister of the four and she was the one who was kind of in control always and she was given these wonderful gifts in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and she used those well. But we're told at the very end, in the last book, the last battle, that she is absent. She's not there when Aslan, the representative of Christ, gives the call, the roll call for all of the citizens of heaven. Aslan says, Susan is no longer a friend of Narnia. It's shocking, right? How could it be? But we're told that she was excluded, I love this, from heaven for growing up, for liking lipstick and nylons and prudence in the 1940s. She's more concerned about herself so much so that she's dismissed the 15 years or so, all of these memories of being the queen of Narnia. Now she just saw them as a childhood fantasy. And there's this other character in the last book named Polly who's one of the friends of Narnia. And she's so frustrated by this. She says that Susan thinks she's become a real adult. But in fact, she's just a perpetual teenager locked into the silliest time of one's life. She is a caricature of adulthood. I wish she would grow up, Polly said. Do you see what she says there? That Susan thinks now that she's an adult, but really, she's just a child. I wish she would remember who she is and grow up. Later in 1957, Lewis would write to a a young girl a letter trying to explain this, what happened to Susan. And Lewis says, the books don't tell us what happened. She's left alive in the world at the end, having by then turned into a rather silly, conceited young woman. But there's plenty of time for her to mend. And perhaps she will get to Aslan's country in the end in her own way. You see, friends, the love of God is constantly reminding us that we are God's children. 
that that is the kind of life that we are invited into. He is making us, if you will, more and more childish through his love. That we are gaining an imagination. It is growing for all of the ways that God loves us and we are gaining an imagination for all of the ways that we can be showing love to the world and to those people around us. And so during these 40 days, perhaps one image you could keep in your mind is to simply see yourself as God's child. That you could come to Jesus as he asks us to come, as a child, with that childlike love, completely enthralled by him. And then maybe during these 40 days, we'll begin to see ourselves as followers of Jesus that are filled with truth and love, that the, that the confusion and the emptiness is subsiding, and we come to him persevering to the end because Jesus has done that for us. But we do it as his children, waiting to experience more and more of his love. Can you take this one thought with you? no matter how long you have been following Jesus, whether it's been many years or today, that however much time on this earth you still have, that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, at the very end, you will experience more love then, more love of God in your life then, than you do even at this very moment. Isn't that wonderful to think about? that that will grow. What you experience now and how wonderful that is, it will only get better. And so let's keep that in mind as we begin this 40-day journey, that on day 40, we will know and experience more of God's love than we do even now. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have called us to be a child that remembers your love for us, all the things that you have done, and to not wander away from that. God, we're so tempted to give our love to these other things, Lord, the things that vie for our attention. And yet, God, when we do, we, we know that they just bring confusion and they lead us to feeling empty. God, would you remind us always that we are your children, that that love that you gave to us at the first would continue, that we would grow in that, that we would be enthralled by it, that you would give us an imagination, a new imagination for how you love us and how we can love others and that we would always see ourselves first and foremost as your children, that we would never grow up, that we would always see ourselves that way. And when we see ourselves as your children, God, we are gonna be all the more likely to want to give love away to other people. And so, God, I pray on this 40-day journey that you would help us, that you would give us imagination, you would give us creative ways to give love away to those around us. Whatever that may look like, may we be committed during this journey to think about it, to pray about it, to take action, to express this great love to others. Lord, that's our prayer. Would you encourage us by your spirit to follow you closely on this journey, to take those chances to step out and know that you will meet us there, to feel your love, 
and to give it away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.